0: and welcome to Beyond the Scoreboard, the Cynics, Tactics and Stats Analysis podcast. I'm Christopher Gallagher and I'm joined as always by Christian Wolf. Hello, Christian. Hello
1: again, Christopher.
2: Yes.
0: Twice in a day. Twice in a day. And we're also joined by Alan Edgar. How are you, Alan?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks very much for having me.
0: This podcast is uh, being released tomorrow, Alan, as, as you just asked on the the message. It's been released on Saturday. So it's quite a quick turnaround. So that's quite good. I'll
2: keep the um, pop music references to a minimum, and then end up to date. I mean, who knows if this goes long enough, we might be recording it on Saturday as well.
0: Jesus. So. Uh, let's, let's hope not, <laughs> um, for everyone's sake. Um, but yeah, we've just, we've just finished watching well, uh, the England game. Um, um, uh, Christian, we were literally just talking about the USA goalkeeper. He, he looked quite good with the ball at his feet coming out.
1: Yeah, Matt Turner. Um, friend of the board, uh, Matt Ryan. So he's he's flagged like, um, Turner to me a couple of years ago, even, because his shot stopping stats, more of those later, uh, it's always been sky high. And he, yeah, it's always felt like, always he's at Arsenal now as, as a backup, but it's always thought it was, you know, maybe one for Celtic to keep an eye on, but. If, it's probably that train's probably gone.
0: Yeah, probably at this point. Um, Alan, um, as I say, we've just watched England game. What did you think of it? Like, uh, obviously, the USA pressed pretty high. England didn't have a lot of. They weren't asking even a lot of questions. They were really pretty damn poor. What's your thoughts?
2: It was a good game. It was quite interesting. Um, USA were very, um, very tactically astute but aggressive as well. It was really good to see. Yeah. Um, and Matt Turner, obviously the goalkeeper, a New England Revolution legend. So. Look, if you're looking to get some of the the young studs from uh, from Massachusetts, just just give me a shout me. I'll, I'll set it up.
0: That's that's really weird, but thank you. Um,
1: we. I, I thought <laughs> I've, I always I, I could I thought it was tactically interesting. There was a lot of uh, dropping on the pivot on the front two. So
0: it just yeah, you
1: know, Ansh, if you're looking, yeah,
0: you know, just... get involved. Do you think that's he's like, what? Like... He's watching all these games. You'll uh, obviously watch the Australia game, and because obviously. Being a big fan and, and all that, and being the ex manager, do you think he'll watch all of the games? Or do, do you think, but do you know what I mean though? Like, I wonder if he watches them all and takes notes, or he just watches them and just enjoys them and lets them wash over him. What do you think, Christian? We'll start with you.
1: I, I think he does watch a lot. I don't know if he enjoys anything in life other than you know winning. So, uh, it's yeah, yeah no, it's imagine watching a World Cup with Ash, watching anything with Ash. I'd, I'd watch anything with Ash. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's, let's
0: Jesus. Oh dear. <laughs> no, <wait. laughs> oh dear. Yeah, Christians had a beer. Um, but you know, Alan, what, what do you think, Jinky? The Jinky ever kind of enjoys it, or does it all work? Do you think at the end of the day for him?
2: No, well, I think he probably does enjoy it. I think he, any football-minded um, person probably does want to watch the World Cup and wants to watch, you know particularly the group stage games as well, because you do probably see some different styles, some different ideas coming together. You know, some of them might be quite lopsided, but I think um, USA England would be a good one for them as well to watch in terms of looking at it and saying, you know what, you can play teams of a higher calibre, on paper at least, and compete. Um, And if anything, you can outplay them, but you still can't score. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> there's, there's always uh, there's always a sucker punch at the end, but no, I, I think you will. I think most football minded people, even if they're on holiday, they're relaxing, they're switching off. You still you still watch a bit of football. It's a World Cup, and it? Who doesn't watch it?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think also the World Cup is interesting, especially this one, I guess, because there's been so little time to prepare. That like one school of thought would say, okay, well, if you don't have much time to prepare your tactics will be a bit more basic and the team with the best players win. But I also think if you have teams that manage to are tactically astute to manage to execute things in a short period of time, you know, if if they've had that kind of grounding and worked on it, I I think you can get a long way in the World Cup um, because of that, because there's a completely different dynamic in terms of uh, a league season, like obviously so i think you kind of saw that today as well in terms of and also um i think you saw canada doing that it was another really good example of that uh, against belgium so yeah it's nice. always something tactically interesting
0: okay lovely stuff um we could wax lyrical about the world cup and stuff and you know we've got plenty of weeks to do that and i'm sure we'll talk about it more um but let's focus on uh glasgow celtic um we want to do we obviously did in the last episode we did a sort of overview of the Champions League which was quite in-depth and quite quite in-depth and quite thorough. You can go back and listen to that because that's available for you on your RSS feed and on the app and on the website. But we wanted to kind of look at Celtic from a sort of domestic point of view. Uh we've got plenty of stats. Christian's put a pack together that's quite detailed and quite great. Um Christian, we'll we'll start it with yourself if you want to kind of talk us through some stuff and that can bring in some talking points.
1: Yeah, as you say, I I think it is obviously an obvious midpoint to kind of have a look at what's happening um, in the league, take a step back, see where we are stats wise, but also tactics wise. You know, we talk a lot about tactics stuff on the review every week. You know, you guys cover quite a bit on on the agenda as well. So uh, I think. From a game to game basis, we talk a lot about this, but I think it was a good point to take a step back and see first of all what are the numbers saying, and then why are the numbers the way they are? So you know kind of leaning more into the, the tactical part. So yes, um lots of graphs, but you know, I, I think we can kind of talk through them. Hopefully, uh, for the listeners, you know, it's, it's not a lot of I think basic elements you know if you look at the kind of stat report we usually do like you you and I used them kind of for the opposition analysis just to kind of paint a picture of where the different teams in the league sit offensively, defensively in possession and the depressing stats so just overall high level compared to the rest of the league Celtic is dominating. Yeah, they have. Don't if you attention, they have the most points, <laughs> they have the biggest goal difference, they have the biggest XG difference. They've created the most XG, they take the most shots, they've conceded the least XG, they've conceded the least shots. You know, there something we'll come back to later in a little bit because I want to talk about it, is they had the highest average shot chance quality created. They had the lowest chance quality against. They take more passes than anybody, they have more possession than anybody, and they're top and a couple of the pressing stats as well. Um, so so overall, I don't think there is any t- any doubt that Celtic's top of the table, top of the advanced stats, and they are dominating play to an extent, you know, nobody in the league is, is really close to it. So it, that's not a huge, you know, in-depth groundbreaking analysis but i think the numbers confirm what we see that celtic is pretty much dominating in every single area so far
0: uh alan is that how you how you're seeing it Uh, is there you know the stats obviously and and actually watching it are you know similar but obviously different at times are celtic playing to the best of their playing to their optimum i guess
2: I think, first of all, I'm happy to accept Christian's figures. Um, So, (laughs) well done. Thank you. Um, And they are very positive, which is uh, obviously very good. And these discussions are always going to be, uh, I suppose, slightly shadowed or amended by a league position. And that's really positive at the moment, which is really good. Um, So I don't want to be... You know, I, I don't want to come across too clickbaity and say no, we're not playing our best. But I think most people watching us watching us over the kind of the last six to eight weeks would probably accept that we have great resilience, we're creating a lot of opportunities and we certainly should be winning games. But I don't think anyone would go as far to say that we're playing our best or that this team are playing to their maximum potential. Um so I probably would hold back a little bit. It's a great position to be in, to be nine points clear and still potentially have gears to go up. But I would say that's firmly where where I sit at the moment and that I think we've come through a period in which we've been a, a little bit off, potentially, um, maybe not as composed at times um, and we're still really clear to the top of the league. That's great. But... In the same way that we did last year, we tried not to look at the league table and allow that to dominate our thinking. I think you have to look it at it the same way this year and say that how how much more can we improve? And I think there's a lot of levels to go up both domestically and um, and certainly in Europe. Uh, I think there's a lot more to come from this team, but it's a really good position to be in. Absolutely delighted, but from a purely performance point of view, I think particularly in the last six to eight weeks, I think there's a lot more to come from this team, and I think there's a lot of areas in which um, in which we can improve.
0: Trushing.
1: No, Alan is, is absolutely right and even though Celtic is dominating in every pretty much every single stat category it is a fact that I think they can be better and one of the things we talked a lot about last season especially at this time of year Alan alluded to there is that Celtic were six points behind but like the, the advanced stats and specifically the expected points table were showing that Celtic were neck and neck with Rangers, right? You know, the underlying performances were actually slightly better than Rangers, but it's still six points behind. So if put that out on Twitter, a certain part of Twitter will react to that, which, which is fine. So I think it would be amiss of us not to kind of look at the X points table at, at this point as well, because for me, it is. You know, Gal, we talked a little bit about the weekly update today in terms of stats. I think that is a good sense check compared to the league table. And it's not the universal truth. And there's kind of, if you want to call it, hidden blind spots in any model. Um, But what the expected points table are are showing so far, and obviously I'm talking about expected points. This is, you know, my friend Stephen Russell's expected points table, which he says, is better than last season's. So there's a couple of adjustments there, but it is showing that while well, Celtic has a nine-point gap in the league, for expected points to have about 3.1 expected points gap down to Ranges. And that is purely on Celtic. So, so Rangers is performing spot-on pretty much in terms of the points they have and expected points, whereas Celtic has pretty much now taken 5.8 expected points more than the points table. So uh, what Alan is saying is essentially right. You know, this this is a team that has won the even games so far this season. They've they've managed to turn some of those draws that look likely draws into wins. And I think, and I don't, you know, can maybe dive a little bit more into it, but I don't think Celtic is. You know, if, if you break these games down, you see that Celtic is still, you know, overwhelming best team in pretty much all of these games. I think, except for one. But there is a point where they kind of accumulated a, a, a range of games. Now I, I'd say where, especially kind of the last, I think it's the last five, where they've taken 15 points, but x points wise, they've taken 11. And in, in all of those, two, you know, they've still had the most XG and and so on. Actually, you know, spec, set versus Hearts, but there is an element where Celtic have managed to turn, not bad performances, but games, you know, late winners, you know, you've got the Dundee United game, even the last one against Ross County, were slightly shaky in periods, but have turned those into wins. So the underlying performances from those games saying, he probably... If you want to call it luck or a bit of random dedicate all oh, fifteen points, but it's because the underlying performance says mm, maybe you you shouldn't quote unquote shouldn't have, and that but you know another way you've banked those points now, and you, you are in position where you're nine points ahead, and th- there is a point where that kind of league table start influencing performances as well and in terms of uh, special ranges. So no, that was a very long-winded way of saying, yes, Alan's right. Celtic can actually do better.
0: Wick, Wick Alan, if you were to, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but if you were to highlight um, some of areas of the pitch or areas of the team where you've been a little disappointed, does anything kind of spring to mind straight away?
2: Um. Yeah, we we seem to give away a lot of penalties. Um which would be <laughs> uh which would be something we should work on in training. Yeah. Um yeah, we can
0: we need work on work that maybe. We, need, we need to work on our work ethic.
2: Yeah, and um yeah, jump wear arms at our sides. Um, I think I think the fairly obvious one um that I think has probably garnered most of the discussion throughout the year has been striker. Um and I think that is a an area where I, I would say I've been disappointed. That's very heavily skewed by the Champions League games, admittedly. Um, but domestically, I think it's it's certainly an area in which we've had top performances throughout the um, from everywhere all season. I think this year, though, I think up top the consistency maybe hasn't been there, um, and you've seen us swapping in Gigi, bringing in Kyogo. Not, I don't think either of them have really made it uh, made the starting jersey their own without any dispute and I think fairly legitimately you'll have people who um, believe Kyogo should start I probably class myself as, as as in that camp but then when you do have Gigi coming in he does score goals he obviously adds a slightly different element to the team, people will then think well his goal record is largely the same so he should get the chances well, I think what that highlights is that Neither of them have really put the debate to bed. And I think ultimately that's probably as a striker, especially when you play a sole striker, that's probably what they would like to do. Um, I don't think either of them have done that. Um, And now it's good. They've both got a a very healthy goals record um, domestically. Um, But the levels, particularly uh, uh, in my opinion, that we've seen from Keogor last year, I think that probably hasn't replicated itself this year. I think he set a standard last year that... you hope that then with the improvement around him would then kick him on a level as well and it's probably not happened to this point in the season. That's not to say it won't happen in the second part, but I think that's maybe an area where I've been slightly underwhelmed. I think a lot of um, a lot of the heavy lifting, particularly in some of the bigger games, has probably been done by um, other areas of the park. So I think if there's an area that I would like to see an uptick um, from kind of December the 17th onwards, it would certainly be in that striking. area it isn't no, it's just my opinion, but I would like to see it from Kyogo because I think his, his ceiling's much higher. I think he's a player that can offer a, a lot more than probably what we've seen from um, you know July through to November.
0: Let me let me before we bring Christian in. Let me ask you this, Alan: um, Why do you think they're both? Why hasn't that answer answer? Why hasn't that question been answered? Because I, I you're hundred percent right. The question is still live, I guess. Um, Kyogo's got twelve and uh, Gigi's got ten. Neat. I don't think you know. As just a kind of just me watching the games, I don't think either either of them look particularly confident at this point in time. They both look a little bit like they need to score. Where do you think that is? Where do you think it's coming from?
2: Well, I, th- I think I think they're two very very different types of striker. Um, both in playing styles and also what appears to be an attitude. Look, we only see them, you know once, twice a week um, for 90 minutes, or if even that, you know, 70 minutes, whatever it is. And Kyogo, I, I think it's quite clear Kyogo has it that in form. Um, it, it, it just doesn't appear to be... He's a player that can make things happen, and I think he's a player whose ability dictates that he can do things that other people can't, and I think we've seen that slightly less this season, um, and we're not as reliant on it, which is a positive. Gigi hand, is very different. He lives by his... Last chance, and if he misses it, it's, it's I mean, you, you see it in his expression, it's the end of the world. And if he scores, he feels like he, he could, you know, score in the Champions League final. So they are very, very different. I think um, the reason it's still a debate is that those numbers that you read out, you know, we'll look at. I think we've got some of the numbers and some of the underlying figures, and I think there's maybe a different debate to be had. But 12 for Kyo 10 for Gigi. Historically, I think Celtic fans, we, not even Celtic fans, football fans look at it and and like to see a striker that's you like one to have 20 goals and you like maybe one slightly lesser striker who accepts that position, who scores four or five. And that is the accepted hierarchy. Everyone's comfortable with it. It makes you feel comfortable as a fan. It probably makes the strikers feel comfortable. And it's almost this acceptance that you have one player who is the de facto starter and the only reason he won't play is if he's being rested or it's a weaker team. And as clearly shown that he's got a tendency not to do that I think he's certainly not done that in other areas of the park I think though that this is born more out of he's kind of he's given them both the opportunity you say like, it's rotation it's whatever I think if Keogh goes on top form I think he's, he plays a lot more minutes than he has so far this season um, I think he has been rotated a little bit more to bring him in bring him out try and just get him that little bit of sharpness not run him into the ground but if, I think you know we look at who's played they can have as much game time this year I think if Kyogre was in top form I think he would have certainly played a lot more minutes and Gigi would have probably found his minutes a, a bit more limited so it's a comfort thing I think for us as fans that hierarchy of guaranteed starter and reserve striker it, it's not really worked out that way this year but they're both getting you know they're both eaten, uh, if, if you'd like to use that expression so you know it's all good
0: Christian do you want to come in?
1: Yeah, I think the first reason why it's maybe not clear cut for a lot of fans. I mean that I mean, going can imagine for me for me it's crystal clear. But it, it, it is a good reason. <laughs> because when Gigi comes on, he he scores a lot. Like he it does do that. And the other part, and I think Alan's right in terms of that consistency, that run is a lot down to the rotation, but then you go why is the rotation happening? I think, yeah, partly is because maybe one strike doesn't seem to be firing. But I think the rotation was always going to happen at this before, before the World Cup. So one of the interesting parts for me after this is how much do Ange rotate because there's no Europe and how much does that come into his decision? And the other part I'll mention there is, as you say, we got some stats Basically, it's just on the league. And I think the Champions League is, you know, fair enough, plays into this discussion, I guess. Because if you look at just the league, for example, Kyogo's got 10 league goals so far on an XG of 7.8. So, you know, on average, uh, over a big enough sample, you, you, you wouldn't expect them. You know, he's overperforming essentially in the league. He's got two more goals than the xG would would indicate, and GJ is pretty much spot on in the league. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's slightly, but I think he's got something like five point seven uh, from from six on penalty goals. But then you have because Kyogo has almost two xG in the Champions League, and they're obviously huge matches, huge moments that he didn't take, and also Gigi is also underperforming in the Champions League. So if if you look at the league and Champions League together they're pretty much scoring exactly on the XG. Like Yogo's got 9.6 XG, 10 goals. Gigi got 7.3 XG and 7 goals. So for all the... And I think this is a, a nice kind of... If you put your eyes and your... Not narratives and such, but you you put you know the, the stories around those two straight purely up against the stats, you would say, oh, these these players are not taking their chances. You know, there's something's about off here. And while that's true in the Champions League, it's it's kind of been like made up from in the league, if you see what I mean <laughs> Kyoko is scoring he's going actually scoring slightly above his XG over the whole season, but because what has driven a lot of this debate is always the Champions League, which is fair enough. You know, because those huge moments, the huge games, and if you're not that a goal in the Champions League is "quote unquote" worth more than three against United, but in in the minds of most of us, I guess it's what you remember, and it's Champions League where the disappointment has been, is where you wanted to push on. So it is an interesting. So, you could say, look, Kyogo's just been unlucky because he's overperformed in the league and he's underperformed in the Champions League. And if if it's vice versa, we'd be talking about Kyogo, you know, being a legend. You know, he got two or three goals in the Champions League. He managed to push Celtic into the last 16. But unfortunately for him, the goals came in the league instead. Now, it's not as easy as that. It's, it's, you know, because. There might be, in every sort of advanced stats and in models, there is, you know, there's, if i going to call them grey zones or black spots in terms of is Kyogo snatching at a chance that's a bit more in the Champions League because of this Champions League, because it's, it's a bit more pressure, it's because of opposition. Maybe. Like, you know, that's a good, there's a theory. Another theory is, like, it's just purely random when you score and when you don't score. And and not to sound very like a fence sitter, there's probably somewhere in the middle. So, but none of those overall, none of those strikers are scoring any less than quote coach they should be. Overall, the season so far, pretty much spot on. As Alan said, there is more when and where they've scored rather than how much.
2: Hey, Alan, yeah, I, I think just another thing to maybe add into their domestic performances is the variance and those levels. So. You mentioned that obviously a hat trick against Dundee United, that's always going to be an outlier. That's the kind of thing that, you know, a striker's lucky if that happens once in the, you know, once every couple of years. Um so that's not as much as they would like to say that's the standard that they would like to meet every week, that's just not gonna happen. I think though what you do have between them both is a a wide variance in where their levels are. And I think there's always a I think I always give a lot of credit to wingers. That they're allowed. Alan to loves wingers.
1: A- Sorry to jump in, but you love wingers. So You'd you stand up for them and you defend them. And I
2: applaud you, Alan. The, for- the, I think wingers, for example, are allowed, you know, their range of performance can be much wider than, say, a centre a half. A centre half, you have to be solid or really, really good. There's nothing below that. Whereas wingers can be, you know, you can drop in the game, you can drop out. Strikers are a little bit different. I think strikers around your system are a little bit different because it has to do. Probably a lot more, and I think one of the things for them both this year is that it's not just about looking at the you know the highs, you know, Dundee United hat trick for QoO, for example. It is about looking at their overall consistency and performance level. And I think they probably have both maybe suffered a little bit that that variance is maybe just a little bit higher. You know, you want to maybe bring that minimum standard up a little bit, and I think where they both have maybe struggled a little bit this year is just how you connect with, you know, look, we're talking about guys that scored 12 and 10 goals. Let's not be overly dramatic about it. But you're talking about how they link up with other players, how much they involve themselves in the overall play of the team. And I think, you know, I think Gigi, there's a narrative that he's a penalty box striker and that he's lethal in there. You know, that that's positive. That's good. And But for Kyogo, he is about getting more involved in the game. I think they both have struggled a little bit with that connecting play a little bit, holding it in, dropping off and then going again, I think particularly for Kyogo, you know, I think that's maybe elements of the game where you would like to see them clean it up a little bit, so that you know, that that 12 goals positive, but you can then add to that you know, a little bit more in terms of the creative side, Um, you know again, it it feels a little bit uh, maybe a little bit negative when we're nine points clear to be saying, you know you'd like your strikers to do a little bit more but it's just about those standards and I think when you see the ability that Keogh can play at last year, you want him to get back to that level. And I think if he does, then it's going to be very difficult for Gigi to get in the team. But the reason that we are having that debate, the reason why those minutes are shared so kind of equitably between them both, is because they're both not quite nailing down that jersey. In, in my opinion, Christian does make very, very salient points. And maybe maybe, maybe the standard is a little bit high, but, you know... It, starting strike of a Celtic. I don't think it's unreasonable to, you know, want guys to um take a blow you away if you like.
0: Yeah, I think one of the other things I would say, sorry Christian, just just before, is um neither of them have excelled against Rangers. And Rangers would be the kind of what the highest level in the land outside of us. They are the you know the second going for the title. So I would like to see in the second half of this season them one of them to stand up and really perform. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be a hat-trick, or even a goal. The Obviously, Kyogo was very unlucky in the last game because he went off within fucking seconds. So that's really, really unlucky. But, you know, I'd I, I just I'd like to come away from a derby and just be like, oh, do you know who was really, really impressive? Kyogo or Giacomakis. Because until that happens, domestically, I still think there's a question mark over both of them. And that might be really I, harsh, and that's fine, but...
2: I, I reckon Gigi might, End up on the register if it was to score against um, Rangers at Celtic Bar and Ibrox because he takes his top off uh, pretty much any goal as it stands. So, so those shots are those shots are coming off. You better believe it. Wecht, wecht, af. And, and
1: just just with as well, I, you know, the New Year game will be interesting because this this hard, You can make an argument there's hardly a derby where Kyogre's had a proper run. You know, the first one he, he plays out wide for most of it. The other way, I can't think he comes on in the semi final late on. Okay, I think he starts in the home game, but, and okay, fair enough, it doesn't have a huge impact, but uh, you can kind of give him a pass because he's just back from a, a long injury and obviously he goes off after two, or three minutes. Now nah, he hasn't, you know, the Champions League is obviously know, the way you, you wanted him to at least get a goal. So, with a few games coming back and then right up in into New Year game, I think that'll be, I think Kyoko's starting one of us is injured. So that'll be, uh, a good yardstick. But I, I just kind of one last point of the two that which I think leads nicely into the another part I wanted to talk about team wise is that Kyogo's average chance quality in the league is really high. I think it's something like 0.24 XG for his average chances and they're much higher than in the Champions League, is a bit lower, but it kind of leads into one of the points, I, I think there's a, so we looked at Celtic now compared to other teams in the league, and we kind of looked at them in terms of X point, okay, what's their underlying performance like? But if you have a look at Celtic <laughs> versus Celtic of 21-22, a couple of things really jumps out to me so far. So and So this is the league games compared to all the league games last season. But one of the main things is that Celtic are creating more XG. So they're about 13% more in terms of creating XG. But they have less shots than last season. So, So what you're seeing is essentially that Celtic's average chance quality is... So it's up fifteen percent as well, and on the other on the, on the flip side of that, their average chance quality against has also gone down. So while you have a team okay they're creating more, they're not actually creating more chances this year. But Celtic's average chance quality, both for and against, and they're actually conceding more shots than last year as well. But well, there is something in Celtic's playing style so far that is helping them create bigger chances and conceding chances of lesser quality. And I think that's an interesting point in terms of we're saying oh, the, the strikers aren't really firing. Um, oh, I mean, Jogun is overperforming. But as a team, that's a really positive uh, development, I think. You know, because... Less, less has essentially been more this season for Solt.
0: Do, do you think, Alan? Let me bring that you in on this as well. We mentioned the wingers. Do you think that part of that is to do with the fact that we are using so many different wingers in a wide positions? Obviously, Jota was out, and that's obviously quite a um, you know a drop off in terms of I think he's probably our best winger. But you know, Hakzabanić just came in and he's impressed. But Abad has had periods where he's impressed. Maeda has had periods where he's impressed. Like Can I
1: jump in really quickly before else Crosses are also down by 15%. So I'm, I'm going to still leave that on the table. Yep.
2: Alan, what's your thoughts? I always enjoy when Christian gives us just the 13% more. It's like, you know when you buy a packet of crisps and a train station, it always says 33% extra free and you think, That'd... what a great deal. Yeah, it, oh, it is, please. Thank it, not, it, It's there. 0.35 XG per game if, if you wanted that. So, yeah. Great, much, much more comfortable number, thank you. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think with the wingers I, again, it maybe goes back to that. Um, I think when when we're all sitting chatting, and you know, inevitably somebody will say, "Right, on our best day, no injuries, who's our best 11? Everyone likes that discussion because largely you'll agree, and there might be one where people are going, nah, I'd have him, and I'd have him." I think with this team, particularly in the attacking areas. You do have real debate about the options. And I think that's, a again, that's maybe a slight comfort thing. We all talk at the start of a season about how we would like to bring in strength and depth and how we want real competition for positions. But then when the team comes out on a Saturday, we're annoyed because, well, just just play the best players. (laughs) And surely surely there's like a list of the 11 best players and you put up on a Friday afternoon and that's the team. And I think this season, aside from injuries, which, you know, have been a theme again um, this year, I think the rotation has worked really, really well. In our heads, it maybe feels like it doesn't because we think about the performance on a game-by-game basis. But when you look at it over the course of a season, we have used, what, five, maybe six wingers. Um, and they've all contributed at different points. Yeah, I think we do have a hierarchy. I think we all think there's Jota as, you know, up in a pedestal and then there's everyone else. But largely, they all have contributed to different elements, whether it's goals, whether it's creating. And I think... As again, just going back to try and make the same point again, but it's about this comfort element for us, and I do mean for us as as fans, we do like the idea that you've got two wingers either side of your one striker, and we all know who the two best are, and we all know who the one striker is. I don't think you're seeing that. I think what you are seeing is like well, different teams, different approaches. We will rotate, and I think this season you have seen that work. You've maybe seen it not work, but. On the occasions, you know, we'll, we'll use St Mirren away for example. We'll use that as an example of, you know, I think for a while that was used as right Adam Boy can't play in the six, and that's just it because he had one bad game against St Mirren. I think Ange does maybe take a step back, and he, he does say quite a lot that he doesn't look at one performance. You know, when Forrest scored the hat trick, for example, you know everyone thinks, well, that's him; he's he's a starter next week. It it doesn't really work like that because I think it is a result of a larger performance and. I think you've you have seen that with the white players a lot this season, and I think probably no better than it does feel like a very long time ago now, but probably no better an example of that than going into the Rangers game when I think I was entirely convinced Dyson May it would start. I was raging, like, Alan. I was <laughs> raging. He was starting, even after he found out that I a, a <laughs> <lad> had, <laughs> had a couple of goals. He was still human. Um, I think that then highlighted too is that it will be. You rotation is very much here to stay and one good performance certainly doesn't do your case any harm, but it won't be the deciding factor. It will look at performances across a, a larger sample size than, you know, just one game. And I, I still feel as a fan base, we are maybe trying to come round to that a little bit. We like the idea and we all talk at the start of the season. Yes, we want strength and depth and we want 16, 17 players competing for positions. But when the team comes out on a Saturday, everyone just says just play my favourite eleven and, and and that's it. You know, just do that, you know, 38 times a season and we'll win the league, mate. Nice and easy. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have
1: always one of my many bugbears is that especially if you have a substitute striker and he comes off the bench and he you know he comes on 60-17 and he keeps getting goals. And people say, oh, You need to start him. I mean you need to start him. And it, I mean, the, the absolute logic in that probably from the striker himself is of that opinion, but you also go, see if a player is coming in on at a certain point in the game and he's really performing in one way it's quite illogical then to, to change that and put him in from the start of the game. I, I know it's not as easy as that, but I think that's kind of what it, Alan is absolutely right. Uh, everybody loves putting the best 11 in but the best 11 will change Based on uh, even away rotation and injuries, it will change based on the team you face, right? You know, and I think what's really nice with again, guy, we talked about this, and we can update the winger situation now. Is is a really nice blend of different qualities, and they're players that the those five rings bring something different to this. You know jumping a little bit in the in, in the rundown here, creating a bit of chaos, but it, you know. We have some stats in terms of the XG of the team, you know, how many what the players get to the expected an assist, and then the, the kind of what we call XG build-up, which is you know the, the XG value of a shot given to all the players that a part of that position, but you strip away the XG and the X expected assist, so you strip away the shot and the, the pass before the shot. And even like a quick look at the wingers there. Look at the Ellabada. Um You know, frustrating young man and all that. But he's actually, in terms of XG, the the quality of chances he gets to, he's splitting Kyogo and Gigi right now in the league. He has more XG per 90 than than Gigi. And Gigi's XG is high, right? Very high. But then suddenly there's a big drop-off down to to Jota, who's almost... Jota is fifth in XG, but he's almost like one-third... Of a bad SXG. And then you have Deis Meyer, who's is a bit behind Jota. And then you have, uh, Haxabana, which is even lower. Uh, James Forrest doesn't make this table because he hasn't played that much. But again, he, he's, he's a player that gets, if you look at, if you, you know, strip away any sort of minutes, James Forrest gets to a lot of chances in, in the time he's played as well. But then you go to look at, okay, who's, who's creating and, and how are they creating? And then you have players like, Jota and Haksibanovich who's who's setting up more chances than say, a Maeda. You know, the, the last pass before that. And if you go a step further to look at who, how, who's involved in the build-up before the last pass, again, Haksibanovich and Jota is involved in so many possessions and Abada as well. But then you can take it all the way but down to so, so who's pressing a lot? Who do you think is pressing a lot? It's Dace Maeda. He's pressing more than anybody in this team. So but all those kind of I know there's a lot of numbers there, but there's numbers who gets the chances, who sets up the chances, who's who's involved in the build-up, who's does the defensive stuff. And the wingers are just all over, almost all over the place in terms of the ranking. And in, in, in a team like Celtic, you maybe in any team you think like, okay, if you play as a winger, you'll have a certain stat up. But in Celtic for the wingers, so different in terms of what they do in different defensive possession, creation, shooting. And for me that's it, leads into what else. I, I think that's a good thing.
0: Is it a case of, you know, they've all got different qualities uh, that they're bringing to the table and therefore when it comes to a specific game, it's like clunk, click. You just put them in and they'll, they'll do their thing, Alan?
2: I think I like the idea of that. I like it in principle. <laughs> it sounds great. I, it just it feels like it kind of goes against everything, I think, you think as a it, you know, kind you know of players, yeah. players and, and rhythm and, you know, a player coming in who didn't play the week before. There is a comfort thing to playing regularly. And I think, like, when you're playing two games a week, I don't think it's as big an issue. I think the second half of the season, though, it does, I don't want to say it becomes an issue. If you don't play on a Saturday, say you don't, you know, your unused substitute one Saturday and you've got a whole week the then pressure to then try and start in that next start of the game is huge because if you don't then that's potentially two weeks where you know you're you're not making an appearance. Again, all the things that I probably say in an agenda on a Monday, it's good for competition and the only way to get there is to work hard in training. That's great. But there are only eleven eleven spots, you know, two wide spots if we're talking about the wingers. And I think it's it can be quite difficult. So the, the plug and play thing is good when you are playing against, you know, without being disrespectful, you know, you're playing against one of the bottom six teams in the league. That's fine. I think where you do see that plug-and-play issue is when you're playing against top teams where it's not enough to be a specialist in one one aspect. You know, um, you mentioned Abadda there. I think the Champions League largely struggled because the one thing he is exceptional at, and he is exceptional at it, is his is ability to get a shot away in the box and get a good quality shot away in the box didn't happen for them in the Champions League because, you know, the ball's not bobbing around the way it does, you know, domestically. It doesn't have, you know, Barisic taking a breather in front of him. <laughs> These things don't happen. Um, Jota, you know, much more comfortable with all. Hak much more comfortable, wants a lot of touches. Champions League doesn't have as many opportunities to, you know, take a touch, drop it off and then get it back again within 30, 40 seconds. So I think that's when, when you start to go up the levels, that's another one of the challenges that you face that, you can't be good at one thing and, you know, rely on that. You need to be a much more rounded player. Um, and I think that's where we have had that. I, I think I might have said it. It might have been on the last recording that we did of this. Of the Jota side of all the other wingers we've got, if you couldn't melt them all into one, you would have genuinely with a really top quality player and you'd have a really, really good Champions League level winger someone who can press, someone who's comfortable in the ball, but who's got the turn of pace and is lethal on the box. And all those things that you get from the four wingers, you know, that we've got that aren't starting or starting every single week, but they're not, they are players that have got a slight blemish on them, then that's the reason they're here. And I think that's what you've seen. Maybe with the exception of Jota, um, who's a, who doesn't look to be a, a young, prodigious winger. I think with the rest of them, it, it's fine when it works, but when it comes to then talking about those big games, It is about making sure you've got two guys either side who are equally adept, ideally. And I think we're managing to work well with it at the moment. In my opinion, there's still still a slot there for a starting winger. I think there's a lot of hope on Haxabanovich, and I'm certainly on that. I'm optimistic as well. But I think longer term, you are thinking about who are our two starting wingers? Who are those two players that you know are really a cut above? Because I feel like we've got one in the moment, and then there's another slot that's constantly up for grabs, and I, I, I do feel as if we we had that same discussion the last time around, but it doesn't really feel like it's moved a lot on. I think everyone's really up in Haksivanovic now. Some really good performances since that last game. Obviously, the finish against Ross County is outstanding, but that overall package of what you're bringing, I think, and that's what maybe we just need to see a little bit more of going in the, the second half of the season or the you know second. Two thirds
0: of the season go maybe as a roundabout with this World <laughs> the, Cup. It's... The second half of the
2: season's fine. The second
0: half Less sixty percent. i see with uh just get your I want to get both of your thoughts on this because obviously you've you've m- both kind of highlighted the fact that just domestic football um that's ahead of the ahead of us this season. How do you think he's gonna manage this? Because we do have a lot of wingers there's not there's there's not always two games a week also christian we kind of mentioned this on the the weekend update as well where you know abogard has you know we said abogard's going to be you know big in the second half of the season McGregor's hopefully coming back you've got mccarthy you've got moy you've got ediguchi like there are a lot of players like when everyone's fit we do have a lot of players now there's obviously a massive difference between you know you're starting specifically in the midfield for example big difference between your starting mids and your your bench but there's going to be a lot of players who will be looking for game time let's just say the squad stays the same post January how does he manage that Christian?
1: I mean I think the one thing we've learned about Ange is that he is in a good way cold hearted about things so when Ange has rotated a lot here I don't think that he's thinking about, I have to keep these players happy. I think he's thinking, what's best for this club for the rest of the year? So I think if he feels that, okay, at this point, we can ease up on the rotation because the the workload isn't as, as big for the rest of the season, I think he'll do that purely from a sporting perspective. And if he puts, if people get a bit annoyed because they're not playing, he doesn't strike me as a manager who will care that much. Not that he's completely emotional. Maybe he is completely <laughs> emotional. But, and, but, so so I, I think he will go with that. But that doesn't mean that it will cause, not a friction, but I I, I will be really surprised if he rotates as much as he has done. And I, and I think that's specifically... Um, maybe not maybe not so maybe the swingers but I'm thinking like the fullbacks and to maybe a lesser degree the wingers and also that kind of the last spot in the midfield maybe it's a slightly better rotation and that will mean as we, as we talked about whereas you know, we'll, maybe we'll come back to it in terms of who's actually played minutes this season there will be obviously less minutes to go around and I don't think he'll spread it like that. I don't think Ange cares, roughly, but I, I think it might have a knock-on effect of some people in that squad going, I'm not getting a game. And that might impact what happens in the summer more than anything. And until the rest of the season, Ange just goes with what he thinks is best, but I think it's maybe a more off-the-pitch impact of that.
0: Yeah, we've got obviously we've got the, the semi-final in January. <clears throat> You'd put out your strongest team with that because it's a semi-final in a cup, and then you get the final... The people who played in the semi-final probably want to play in the final, that sort of thing. Alan, we do have guys like Haksabanovic. I think we're all big fans of him. You know, he'll be looking to play. McGregor's back as well, hopefully, fingers crossed. You know, does that put Moy's nose out of bent, uh, shape and stuff? You know, as Chris Christian's touched on it then, is it just a case of he'll make these decisions and that's it? Or do you think he'll give guys opportunities to work their way into his thinking long term?
2: I think there are decisions to be made. Um, I think they are decisions, though. I don't think they're new decisions. I think what you might see after the World Cup is you might see a rerun of a couple of decisions that Ange probably has already made in his mind. James Forrest, probably go back to extremely limited minutes. Um, Aaron Moy, I would presume, would go back to being the first off the bench option. Um, He's already made those decisions before. Um, I think Adam Moy playing as much football as he has and doing a good job um, just thinking it. it's, not, it's not that I'm delighted to see him go back to the bench but I think the manager probably didn't um, envisage that he would play as much football as he did um, prior to the World Cup which has obviously worked out well for him I think it's a rerun and it's just actually maybe going back to saying you know probably what I'd imagined at the start of the season will come back into play. Now that's you're being very generous in saying, let's play this scenario on the basis that there's no changes to the squad. But I think he's been fairly honest in his assessment that I actually would like to see players come in. Obviously, we've already signed a centre-half. There presumably will be other options coming in now. I don't want to go too big into kind of, uh, the speculating there. But as a player, you will know that that game time is what might already be precious game time for you is going to get worse now. I think a lot of people in the head will think, well, McCarthy won't get game time, Gucci. these aren't guys that are getting game time just now, so that doesn't really change anything, yeah. it's about who is playing a lot of minutes at the moment, that that's not going to go into January, so I think that's maybe where it'll be quite interesting, I think Moy is certainly one I think will probably drop off a little bit, but if there's any history of Australians and World Cups, he probably won't be very good when he comes back anyway, <laughs> so... He'll um, probably stay maybe,
0: there for a bit, Yeah.
2: It's, it's probably good timing. Um, So I think that'll be interesting. I think where it will be interesting, look, we've talked about wingers, we've talked about striker. I don't think there's any, it doesn't look like there's any prospect of us bringing in a striker that will shake up that rotation between now and the end of the season. I think where it will be really interesting is the middle of the park because you've got David Turnbull in there and I, I was quite surprised to see the amount of game time that he's played this season because he doesn't feel like he's played a lot, but he has got himself a lot of game time. That'll be interesting with Moy has been a starter before him, and now with Cal McGregor coming back, you'd presume then he slots straight back in. Matt O'Reilly, you know, pushes up one. It will be quite difficult to see how these guys do. Because, you know, let especially me just- at the age he's at, I think that's what it's difficult for David Turnbull. Talking about Moy, we're all quite comfortable with him being coming off the bench. You know, he's just back from the World Cup, it's probably worked well for him. But as David it he, he must be anxious to play, and he's, he's a much, much um, more different kind of phase of his career
0: Yeah because uh, like Moy was coming on ahead of David Turnbull Yeah So if it goes back to what the old kind of uh, routine was Turnbull will get less and less minutes Christian do you want to start looking through minutes and how many game times people have played and stuff
1: Yeah it's I think we talked a lot about so far as oh there's been a lot of rotation and I think last season at this time we've thought you know, there's been a lot of new players. Some people had to do a big shift, especially Turnbull and and Roderick. So I kind of wanted to have a look at okay, after 23 games last season compared to 23 games this season, what? How is the minutes spread? I think there's a, there's a few, there's a lot of interesting things, of course, because of stats. they are interesting, but there's kind of three headlines: is last season at this point new and um, introduced 25 players. I think a couple that you can probably add, you know, it's Edward had played, Ryan Christie had played. Yeah. So, you know, Dane Murray had to be thrown in uh, at, at the right at the start of the season as well. So 25 this season, 22 had played. So it's not a huge, you know, gap there. I mean, consider that something started the season earlier, you know, and there was a huge turnover and so on. But where it kind of starts, you kind of paint a picture of what's happening is that last season at this point six players had played less than two percent of all possible uh no, total minutes all right so you had Liam Scales, Michael Johnson, Dame Murray, volleyball and Colley, of course, Gigi and James McCarty had all played less than you know, two percent of all minutes. Of this season it's only it's only two players. It's only James McCarty and, and Abelgar, which has played less than two percent of all minutes take a step up. If you look at players with played less than 3%, last season at this point, it was 11 which is a lot, right? Because you have a lot of players who had little cameos. So, uh, um, In addition to the players I mentioned there, you had Albion and Nia Betton, James Forrest, Ismael Asoro, uh all had less than three minutes, the 3% minutes, three of that time. This season is only 6 so the, the players that kind of make that bracket is Stephen Wells, Bernabé, Starfield, and, and James Forrest again. So What you're saying, while there's been a lot of rotation so far, the nucleus, there's more of a core of players. And I think you kind of, if you maybe put a a line at Anthony Ralston has played for the 16th most minutes, I think from him up, you have 16 players who's been really the core here. And I think last season you had a lot, more players, but a smaller core. So I think if you want to have a headline for the minutes, is that less players are playing, but there's the rotation is of a bigger core. Whereas last season, all the minutes were kind of spread out. And it is there's reasons for that because Andrew was new and so on. But while we talk about rotation, yes, we're probably rotating more this season so far. But
0: it's the same players. You're
1: using less. You're using less players.
0: Um, see, I mean, just looking at obviously, I'm just looking at these uh, figures as well, and the drop off in terms of how much he's been used from an Anthony Ralston perspective from last season to this season is is huge.
1: And, and I, I, I didn't think that at this point last season, Anthony Ralston had the second most. Uh, so, um, I should have said we're excluding uh, keepers here because <laughs> yeah, it's not real footballers, are they? <laughs> uh, so we're talking about players. But Anthony Ralston at this point was second in the amount of minutes because there wasn't a right-back, and then when the right-back came in, the left-back injured (laughs) at the left-back. So he's dropped off a lot. Another one is David Turnbull, who had the most minutes at this time last season, always has injuries, but he's down to 14th place. So that is two players that you had to play last season, and this season they've played a lot less. And as I said, I'm I'm actually surprised that Ralson is that far down, because he's been starting the last six, seven league games and so on. But yeah, there's been a big drop-off.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alan, what's your kind of thoughts on
2: that? I, th- I think it highlights, I think when you look at the names that are involved, so that, you know, the, the guys that have found themselves with significantly less game time, you know, at this stage than they did last season, are uh, um, aside from injuries, McGregor and Staffel are two that are less, but that that's injury enforced. Leo Labada, David Turnbull, Stephen Welsh and Anthony Ralston. I think what it does highlight, not to kind of pop the balloon as such, but I think it's, it's probably about quality and improvements mm-hmm. in the, you know, the average ability of the squad, maybe meaning that those guys' minutes are somewhat more limited. I think there's different stories within that. Leal Bad is a very young player. We had to lean heavily on him. So it's, it's good that you don't have that pressure on a young winger's shoulders. Um given where he's at. I think for the other guys, it maybe is just a little bit more about, you know, they're important, they really important squad players. Anthony Ralston's came in recently after not playing a lot of football at all. Um, so that is a kind of, Christian's opinion there, uh, not opinion, but his kind of thoughts on it are probably quite similar to a lot of people's because Ralston's played a lot recently. But prior to that, he barely kicked a ball. Um, mm. And I think it is about I think quite simply it's about just the, the average of the squad has increased. Stephen Welsh has, has quite clearly found himself fourth choice centre back. I know he was unfortunate with he had a, I think he had an injury at a very inopportune moment. But he has been usurped by Moritz Jensen. we've had this discussion quite a few times. A player that probably hasn't lifted up any, you know, lifted up any trees since his move here. Some really good performances, but a lot of you know, average, if you want to say, performances. So I think it is probably for those players they'll be looking at it, that that's what you want to do. From the outside looking in, we want the level of the squad to improve. We want to see about get better year on year, transfer window on transfer window. But then sometimes when we see the names of the players that are maybe being forced out a little bit, we you know we think, oh, that's a bit of a shame. That's disappointing. I hope he gets more game time. That's just the nature of it. I think these guys, will, they're, they're playing their part, but that part is maybe, um, you know, it's, it's a supporting role, certainly. Whereas last year it was kind of, I don't know,
0: lead actor. See, see okay. the, so let me just quickly um, see like is it like you know, gladiators when you're running up the track? this is actually a, a probably a great point to be honest, probably the best point in the pod. Uh you know, the traveller when you're running up you're running against the the kind of both, yeah. <laughs> that's just just mention a name of a gladiator. Um But like when you're running against basically the, the traveller as it's going round, if you if you look at this list of players, is it a case of as you go down this list, it kind of dictates your future almost. You know, Anthony Ralston was at the top of the list this time last year. Now, he's one of the last, he's kind of at the bottom. Is it a case of, it almost defines your future at the club and you kind of fall off the travelator or, or the list, if you know what I mean? Or is that too simple? It,
2: it was a good point at the start. and It was... It it was the best point of the pod, but then you fucked it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's I, I think it's just the nature of it. I think it's quite simple. It's competitive sport. You, I think the one thing that Ange does do quite well, um, he, he leaves the door open for players. He doesn't shut that door. He doesn't seem to burn bridges with the players that are playing extremely limited minutes. I mean, Christian mentioned James McCarthy and all of our He's still very complimentary about both of those players, despite the fact that he—I mean, James McCarthy's what eighty minutes. Um, there isn't a clearer sign that you don't like a player than when you have a slight injury crisis and you don't play that player, but you leave it open to them. And I think like, I don't want—I don't want to pat the manager in the back for not burning bridges with players that are in the squad. But it, it's very—it can be very difficult to do to keep players engaged when they don't find themselves playing. Um, and I think, you know, another example, not to go back to my man, but James Forrest hardly kicks a ball. Then he comes in, really important. Similar to last year, very, very little game time. Then he came in at a couple of up op- you know E moments, you know, semi-final, comes in, scores a goal, but then he's back out again. But he manages to keep players engaged enough that they don't, you know, they're not discontent, they're not causing any issues. You know, you don't hear about any imbalance in the squad. That that's a real positive, and it's good because you don't know when you might have to rely on these players. Um, so that's a positive for those players. Though I think you do then immediately start thinking about what's my future, where is my game time, and I think for particularly for the younger guys, you know, we've talked a lot about Stephen Welsh. I think Anthony Nelson's a bit different because he's in a, a direct one-on-one race for his position, um, and you know he's he's only. Uh, you know, a hamstring away from playing every game for three months, whereas Stephen Ware's still a little bit different. You know, he's fourth choice, another centre-half coming in. It then even if, you know, he does win that battle over Jens, potentially it would still be fourth choice. So I think um, for each player, there's different considerations in there, but it's, it's as a it's a positive that you used to have so many players in the squad playing what is fairly limited game time, but still keeping everyone engaged so that when you do need to call on them, A, you can do that, and B, they are ready to go.
0: Question: you reckon? Yeah,
2: there's, there's a couple of
1: just kind of interesting nuggets when you've talked about Abada. Because, well, he's, you know, how many? I think he's got about 400 less minutes so far this season. He was, at this time last season, he was the fifth, player with the fifth most minutes. But interesting is he's actually played in two more games this season. So as Alan says he's, there, he still has a really important cameo, you know, best supporting player. If you want to put it in an Oscars term, rather than, you know, being, having to be the starting role. all, it, it kind of, I don't know, it's, I not really all about it. How, if he's, if he wants to play more, if he's not more frustrated. And as we talked about the Champions League is, is one point but he is, when he comes on in the league, it always <laughs> you know, he's, he's very important cameo sometimes. But I think the story of the season so far, what we talked about that rotation is, is seen so clearly in some of these stats around the minutes because it's the rotation if you look at the top, you know, this, we haven't actually mentioned who's, who's played the most minutes this season so far of out two yeah. players is, is Matt O'Reilly, right? He's, he's got the most minute and just behind them, which I did find surprising was Cameron Carter-Rickers because I thought, Oh, he's been out injured this season. He's played the second most minutes yeah. of all, all Hotsfield players. And then after that, you got Greg Taylor, third, and then you got a little more gents. He's played the fourth most minutes and again. Again, that doesn't quite compute in my head. And then Rio Tate's in the top five. But if you look at last season at this point, so Matt O'Reilly's played uh, 1,735 minutes so far this season. Last season at this point, there was four players who had played more already. So again, as Alan said, that there's more rotation, but I think there's also a sense of more rotation because you have quality of replacements you have a better quality of backup in most positions and what we talked about okay can Celtic do a little bit better and maybe a are on performing a bit every single metric i call on that so far this season have Celtic doing better than last season so this is all in context of there's more rotation but the players you're putting in they're better and even with all that rotation the team is performing better and the unknown that this is okay. Maybe the, the second part of the season, will we see more rotation? Will we see more consistency? I hope we will. I think we will. But I think there's still a sense of this showing a sign that this is Celtic is getting maybe not quite just there in terms of the squad wise, but the squad is getting healthier, and you have the opportunity to do that rotation and not see a real, a huge drop of in performance, especially not a drop of performance to where the standards were last season.
0: Yeah, Um, Alan, just from a tactical point of view, do we foresee any problems with McGregor coming back in and uh, our good friend uh, Matt O'Reilly going back into the eight? Do you think that's kind of cut and dry?
2: Yeah, I I think it probably is. Um, The last time we recorded, I was very optimistic about Matt O'Reilly in the six, um, which then preceded probably the worst run of form (laughs) in the six, which um, is unfortunate. Not for him, just for me. For you. Um, because it's another of my uh, bad calls. No, I, I think he's been very good in the six. He's he's shown a different side of his game. And I was thinking about it earlier today, mainly because I was thinking about how to rescue my opinion from the last pod and try and turn that around into a positive, which is always what you're told to do in these scenarios. Um, I think it's a real positive that you're going to have a player who I think in the eight was really good. And I think what we've seen from Matt O'Reilly and I don't want to say flashes because he's been very consistent since he came in. But in the eight, I think the one criticism, in my opinion, I had of him a lot was that he dropped out of games, but not for five, ten minutes. Sometimes just games would pass him by and he wasn't able to recover that. I think the one potential positive from him playing in the six is that he will now, and I know he's played in there before um, as, as Samani um found out quite well, I think the one thing that you would get from that is that you get a different perspective in the game. It is an entirely different role. I know it feels like you just, you know, dropped a little bit deeper, but it's a completely different perspective in the game. And now, potentially, you'll be receiving the ball back in the eight and that kind of natural area where would like to play. You do hope, I mean, that's a good, what, two, eight weeks, ten weeks he's played in that number six. You do hope that he he will have learned from that, the the difference, that kind of other side of the game that he showed in flashes that aggression, I think, that you've seen from him. I don't think you just drop that off. I don't think you, you don't shed that like a skin. You're hoping that he takes in when he goes back in there. I think I would be looking to see a player that impacts the game more in the eight and makes himself indispensable to the team. I think he's been really good in there. I think he's he's learned some tough lessons recently in the six. But I think when he goes back into the eight, I would be hoping to see a player that that, Kind of propensity to maybe just let things pass him by unless he's having a really good game. Again, it would hopefully be he then raises that minimum standard much higher up than it was before. So I'm quite excited to see that. I think um, I think we still have a we still have a gap in the midfield that I think needs filled. And I think you know, we mentioned the World Cup at the start. You mentioned Canada. We talked about USA. The one thing these teams that play really aggressive football is they have dynamic athletic midfielders. And um, I think that's one thing O'Reilly, I think we'll need to wait and see. He's a quality player on the ball. In the six, he's been much more aggressive, much more dynamic. It'll just be interesting to see if he carries that in the eight and then kind of builds on top of what he's already got. He's he's one, um, I think his development over the next year will be really interesting um, because he is a player who's got a very, very high ceiling, but he's got a lot of work to do, I think, to get to the player that a lot of people think he can be. You need to not only have those quality touches and have that ability to unlock, but you need to be good both sides of the ball, particularly in an Ange team. So I'm quite interested to see um, where his development goes. But he's a player I'm very excited about. I, I would presume Cal McGregor will come back in and be, you know, his usual self. I think we have missed him that ability to pick up the ball anywhere and keep it moving and inject a bit of energy. I think we'll be. I think we'll all be quite happy to see that. But. I think O'Reilly's one over the next six months will be very interesting. See,
0: everything you've just said, and Christian, I'll, I'll ask um, Al on this first, but everything you've just said, completely agree with. Does that, and just what you mentioned there about, you know, Canada and, you know, the, these World Cup teams and how they're setting up with athletic dynamic kind of players. Does that rule out Haksibanovich in the eight for you? Or do you think do you think he's found his position out wide? Or would it, might Ange throw in the odd Haksibanovich at the eight? Slash tennish.
2: I think I think Haksibanovich could play as any in this in most games in this league. And I mean actually Christian probably will come in and talk about Haksibanovich He's actually a lot better off the ball than I had imagined, certainly because he does do a lot more work off the ball than um he, he struck me as a luxury player. I don't think though that it's his natural position, I think. If you want to play more central, which I would like to see, because I think he is a, a player who, incredible touch, very quick feet, can play in tight areas. He's more a 10, though, I think, than than probably an 8. Um, and I think it would be fine. I think he would do it. I'm, I'm sure he would actually excel, potentially, in domestic games. I think the question that Andrew would probably ask himself, though, is, is that something I would do in a big, big, say European game home or away would that be comfortable putting them in there I think probably not so I think then what you do is, is you treat every game like it is you know a European game like it's a cut final whatever way you want to look at it I think it would maybe just be slightly I don't want to say arrogant to play him in the 8 because I've not seen enough of them. It, it would look like I was about to say it would look like jamming a number 10 into a number 8 but we did that for half of last season and we won the league so <laughs>
0: um
2: <laughs> I, I I don't think he is a, I don't think he's a, a, an, an A in this system that athletic player both sides of the ball I think um, I think he wants to play higher up he wants to be in the luxury side of the ball so I think he's probably more a number 10 or a winger hopefully a winger because it would solve a really nice big problem and um, I don't think he'll he, he see himself in the A regularly
0: uh, Christian your kind of thoughts on O'Reilly Hicks Banwich
2: yeah I mean first of all Alan's kind of
1: you know, talking about it's Matt O'Reilly opinion there. Uh, I follow the, the words of the great philosopher Lemmy and I say don't back dune. Double do now on your opinions. there. Um, okay. So <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so, sorry. Um, so there's a lot there I mean start with about which I uh, I have a real like thing or a pension for putting players, especially in the midfield part, maybe players who've, who've done a certain role and put them in a slightly different role because they they bring qualities from one position into another one and i think that's kind of a nice alch- alchemy sometimes you know i think my pal mcgregor is, is, is a good example because he, he didn't start out as a six at all and he had he was more of an eight more of a winger maybe but then you put him down into six and you know you know it's Something happens there, and it brings. I think a lot of what you said about to call modern football and things like that is being able not to be defined by a position and bring something else to that position, so that can be bring the qualities of a number eight to a number six, or bring the qualities of a number ten to a number eight, to bring uh, you know the qualities of a winger. But, the qualities of a central midfielder putting my a fullback, <laughs> you know. Is it so those things. So I, I've I've liked things with Hacks I Again, I like the idea of him in an eight. In probably, I guess, domestically, first of all, because he is he's so. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a short sample, but what I've seen from him in, in the in the number eight, it, it seems very direct. Whereas on on the wing, he's maybe less direct, but as a number eight, he's Maybe because he's got short access to the goal. But I liked what I've seen him in, in the eight so far in the games he's, he's he's played. I guess the other side of that, and it's, it's we kinda kind of, kind of move it into O'Reilly as well, is what then happens on a higher level. Yeah. So so what happens if you move him into a six in the Champions League? Oh number eight in the Champions League. Because I think that's my thing with O'Reilly is that he's I mean talking about tactical stories of the season, this is really one of the most interesting one for me that Ansh went okay, Cal McGregor is injured who am I going to put? If you, you give me a list of players who Ansh is going to put in a number 6 if Cal McGregor is injured, I think Matt O'Reilly might be at the bottom of that <laughs> all, the, all the midfielders, but he picks him and I think domestically I think it's it, it has worked better than most alternatives like if if Moyes, is Carty who knows about I think my issues with O'Reilly so far in the 6 is maybe what would have shown up with Haksa Banerjeev at 8 in Champions League as well is that I think if you need to play a 6 in the Champions League, there's so much it's essentially just based on your experience and your muscle memory of that role, especially defensively when you have to move up, when you have to press, when you have to fall down, what you have to be aware of the distances you have to keep and as Alan says, it might be well be a case of if you played O'Reilly there for lots of seasons, he he would get to that level. But I think it is the best case scenario that Alan is, is right about I think will happen is his experience at the six. Hopefully, and I, I think this is it's a really good fear is he might bring a new dimension to his number eight because I think that's what happened to Cal McGregor as well. And his experience in the eighth as a winger, especially as a winger, brought him, created a new dynamic, a new dimension to him. In the six, and I think for for a Celtic midfielder, especially domestically, you have to. Cal McGregor is a number six, but in certain parts of a game, he has to play as a number eight. In some parts of the game, he has to play as a number 10 because that's the way Celtic how they set up, how much they dominate play. So, um. Yeah, I I I like kind of comes back to the rotation. I, I like the flexibility in Hagsabanovic that he can play a winger and an eight. I like the flexibility on Rylo that you can put him in a six in the dimension that it brings. I guess to kind of try and tie it all, all this rambling up in one sense, it is what Ange says himself is that he doesn't change the system, but the system what kind of changes within it is if you put a certain number six or a certain number eight in there and it changes that it brings a new dimension to the system. And I think that's what you've seen with O'Reilly, that's how, what you've seen with Haxibanovic as well. It's what you've seen with the wingers. It's what you've seen with the strikers. You can even extend that to the fullbacks. It's because having a, a game with at fullback and Uranic is very different. So, yeah, I, I don't really have an end point. So somebody please stop in and say something. because, oh, is i just going to ramble on. <laughs> so,
2: Alan? I think just on, I just think the kind of bluntly on O'Reilly, if he can add some of the robust elements of the game that he's shown over maybe that period when he's replaced Carl McGregor in the six, if he can show those and take the the parts of that that can improve him in the number eight, um, that ability to be a little bit more aggressive, maybe a little bit more dynamic in um in the way that he, you know, can win possession back maybe being a little bit more aggressive in his use of the ball, stepping in with it, then I do think that what looked like a very prodigious talent who could unlock things if things happened in front of him, I think he could be much more of a central player and a player who actually can be actually the beating heart of a team, which isn't what I've seen him as You know, six months ago. I've seen him as a, a player that can unlock, but he needed other players around him. Actually, I think if you can take the those really strong illnesses game that you shown in the six and flashes um, and some real tough learning curves in there. I mean, playing at the as or six can't be easy, especially when it's really not your strength. Um, I think if you can take that into date, then I, I do believe that you will have there. He kicks on a, a really talented football player. I think the reason he's at us and not at you know a an English Premier League club already as a young. Um, you no know, English grown player is that he probably doesn't have those physical elements of the game. He's not aggressive enough, um, and that, that potentially the back and forth of a game might slightly um, that, that he might struggle with. I think he's shown recently that that you know he's, he's top of the minutes list. His standards haven't dropped significantly. I think if you can add that to your game, then I think you get a player there that um, you know could really go on and achieve really big things. So. I think it's quite encouraging. It's really good to see, but I think it, I think me and Christian are both predicting here that this will be the making of Matt O'Reilly and we're, we're happy to be, both be correct.
0: Great stuff. Love to hear it.
2: In uh, three years' time.
0: <laughs> Christian, um, where do I go from here? Um, well, yeah, I,
1: I think we've, I think overall, if we want to kind of make a conclusion of, of the team stats so far it is that Celtic is dominating the league. In, in every single kind of stat category. I think compared to last season, they're not creating more chances or conceding less. But there must be I think there must be something in in the way Celtic explain this season that they create better chances. And the chances to concede aren't as as high quality because every other kind of stats you have them here compared to last season is it's not they're not really getting into a positions half more or the final third more or the box more. They're taking less passes than last season. Um, You know, they're they're kind of keeping the ball slightly less. They're taking less crosses. There's less dribbles. There's less tackles. Um, So, but there's something within this where Celtic are creating essentially the end product of what Celtic is doing in both ends is better, you know, better chances at the front and then not conceding as big a chance. So all that points to a really healthy situation. There is that thing about expected points that essentially I think mostly come from the last five games where Celtic are still apart from the hardest game dominating. But they have kind of they kind of over those five games you've maybe except from the harsh ones, they're still the most likely winner. But I do think if if you Keep doing those games. You will eventually lose points. <laughs> lose points eventually, anyway. Right? But uh, I, I think that's just a little flag to put up that, that there's improvements here. And I think Celtics, which we call it mentality or re- resilience, or you know, we don't stop. Essentially, has that pushed Celtic over the line? Is that kind of intangible pushed Celtic over the lines in those games? Yeah, I, I think it. It has. But at the same time, you can you rely on that in every single game? Can you keep playing like that and rely on that every single game? I don't think you can. So, but, <laughs> As we talked about the whole thing, maybe that is a result of the rotation and that what you've done in this rotation will now allow you to have a more, a run of more consistent selection and that those kind of chinks or those kind of slight not worries, but something we need to kind of be aware of. Maybe you should see the doctor at some point. It, maybe that'll be fine. Right? Because because you have a more consistent approach and your kind of underlying output will improve and that makes the likelihood of dropping points a lot less. So I think that's you know overall Celtic deserves to be where they are. And um, they are performing slightly, but there are, you know, plausible explanations for why they're doing that. And there's 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 Sound, I guess, optimism that they can actually kick on and they can keep this rate of results because their underlying performances will actually improve.
0: Uh, Alan, is there any other kind of tactical kind of points that you want to kind of raise?
2: Yeah, I, I think just maybe the the only, you know, looking at the second half of the season, I think the one thing that you would try and look at now is how that I think over maybe the last four to six weeks, what you've seen is that sides have had the ability to not play out against us, but hold the ball in and cause us problems, not necessarily creating particular chances. I don't think we're a side that I think actually would defend um, very well. But I think what we want to do is maybe get slightly back to that element of being a little bit more aggressive in a press and trying to prevent teams from getting the opportunities to, you know, well... Preventing teams from creating clear cut opportunities. I think what we want to do now is try and stop them to you know getting into a box, getting into a half. I feel like we have dropped off a little bit there. Um and I think that certainly the the way in which um we dominate possession is much the same. I think off the ball though, we have just dropped off a little bit. I don't know if that is you know, you play Hacks, and Jota, I don't think you're probably going to get the same level of intensity as when, you know, Dyson Maeda or Lille is in the team. They both press with real fervour. Um, but if you can stop that initial first or second pass from sides, particularly at like Celtic Park, if you can stop that first or second pass, then it's extremely difficult for teams to get up in the park. Um, you know, and those, um, those little flick balls onto uh, players' arms, if you can stop them getting in their half, then... You know, that would certainly help. But it was very minor um minor issues, but maybe just teams maybe building up five or six passes to get into those opportunities where they can loop one into the box. If if you can cut that out, then it would certainly certainly help. But you know, I think is more focused on the attacking elements of the game. So I don't think he'll spend too long thinking about four or five passes that um, that bring Ross County higher up the park.
0: Yeah. Christian?
2: Yeah, the, you know,
0: we put some pressing
1: stats in there as well, and uh, the the one thing I to bring up with pressing it is very position dependent. So you'll press more if you play certain positions. That's just just logical. So my interesting point around that is, so I guess you can judge if it's interesting or not. But is if you look at compare players in the same position and how many pressures to do in it in a game, and the, one of the things that that kind of pops up is that the left sided fullbacks have more pressures in a game than the right sided ones. So if you look at, you know, one of the graphs, Bernabe and Taylor is you know very close together. And then it's quite a drop-off to, to Ralsen and Juranovic. So so that kind of tells you that you know that there's something I don't know if it's what exactly it is, but there's that kind of left leaning bias for that. And then if you look at the other wingers which I've also highlighted there's the, there's quite a big spread in what you, you get from your wing. It's like Dice Meada pressed more than anybody in this team. I like, it. I mean, it's technically it's James McCarthy because he's played 80 minutes and that 80 minutes he, he had a lot of pressures <laughs> essentially, but other than that, it's, it's, it's Dice that, and his pressing stats are like way above Abada and, and, and Jota uh, as well. So it's just it, when I was saying about, okay, just doing something you need to be more aggressive off the ball. And um, there's definitely a, a bias against the left hand side in terms of, especially the, Celtics kind of, you know, as far as me and Al have done this tactical podcast, I think we've always talked about the left hand bias when it comes to Celtic attacking, creating, and now also seemingly pressing as well. Um I don't really have a better answer than that, than, than we talked about before, but it is. Is, uh, I guess, what we're going to all agree on is that uh money that runs a lot. Okay, so, so there's really in depth tactical analysis in terms of the press. Very
0: good, very good. Yeah. Um, shall we wrap it up there?
1: I, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's it, as you say, it's it, it's a good to kind of have take a step back, see where we are. Uh, from a team perspective, who's actually played? <laughs> One of the most interesting things I did here was like, who's played the most minutes? I was like, ah. Uh, but I think it all ties into that concept of rotation, but rotation with a, a smaller core of players. But even with all that, and even with the fact that Celtic, yeah, they've eked out some victories where overall underlying performance is significantly less. This is. A team that's dominating in every single department, it's a team but at the same time that has you know at, at least one or two gears to go up. So I think overall it's, it's you know everything in the stats is is positive. And while we've tried to ignore the, the real table as much as possible, just the fact that Celtic are nine points ahead, if Celtic would go, say they take a couple of four more points than Rangers before the derby, and if they go and win the derby. It'll be 14 points. And at that point, I mean, not that stats become irrelevant, but if you're 14 points behind, for example, in early January, all that really, I think, affects performances and pe- affects the outlook of the rest of the season. So there's a scenario here where Celtic can put this to bed, you know, regardless of what was all the stats really early, if they keep going on the next few games. And if that kind of, trend of kind of eking those victories out can change the complexity of the whole season but more than half the season uh, the first few games
0: yeah absolutely um, we will uh, do uh, the next beyond the scoreboard I think we'll do will be a, a mailbag episode and we'll take your questions so we've got uh, yeah, we can answer your direct questions but this has been absolutely fantastic as always Christian with pleasure sir
1: for the second time today precious all mine
0: lovely, lovely stuff Alan Edgar it's uh, a joy to record with you sir
2: thank you very much next time we'll have played Aberdeen away Hibs away and Rangers away so (laughs) there will be a much more um, hopefully teams will have come at us at that time so hopefully we'll have a bit more
0: yeah absolutely Um, we'll obviously have the transfer committee as well so we might still go over some of these kind of stats when Christian's talking about you know players to bring in etc but this has been superb Uh, from Christian Wilf from Alan Edgar from myself Chris Gallagher this has been Beyond the Scoreboard and we'll speak to you and the road.